Hello and welcome to another Burnham and Shaw chat. And it's been a while, hasn't it? It's a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've, we, we we have had a few things going on in the last uh, ooh, 12 months, perhaps, which has probably uh, hindered us. <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite sure what you might be thinking of. But anyway, um, it's lovely to uh, be back here. My name's Rachel Burnham. And I'm Mike Shaw. And uh, and, it is, and it is nice to chat again. I have missed this, actually. So what we thought we'd do this time is have a look at equality and diversity, which we have discussed before, but um, the whole area of diversity and inclusion has really come to the fore, in our opinion, over the last year. Um, so particularly things like the Black Lives Movement, and the protests around that and really raising um, awareness of racial discrimination. Um, and then, of course, the whole COVID um, crisis has, has made us very aware of other inequalities that exist in society. Um, so health inequalities, of course, so that the way it's disproportionately affecting um, black and um, Asian people, um, the way that um, lockdown is impacting on women, for example, in terms of childcare, but also things like you know differences in people's experience, whether people can work from home or not work from home, perhaps because of the nature of the work they do, yeah. uh, and things. So there's all sorts of yes. inequalities that have really come to our mind. Now I know that you've been thinking a lot about equality and di diversity inclusion in organisations, Mike. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I have actually and, and of course nearly every organisation is thinking about this in some way isn't it um, and and I think it's a really interesting topic as to around, as around how learning and development goes about supporting a business with this so yeah I got a few reflections really in recent times around different different elements of um, equality, diversity, inclusion, and, and uh, sort of the key things I've been working on are around um, unconscious bias and also around uh, how we raise the profile within the organisation around its approach to diversity and inclusion. Um, uh, uh, you know, and I think this is so, so wedded and, and tied up with an organisational culture, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, um, you, you can't just chuck it in thinking it's no work. If the culture is somehow, if it's not set up correctly and, and, and going to sort of work effectively for this sort of discussion, is it? Yes, too often organisations have um, tackled equality and diversity by doing some training, uh, some learning, um, as though that in itself would would uh, would tackle the situation. Um, it's almost taking that compliance approach well, to which it. Which what we saw with Starbucks, didn't we, a year or two ago? They shut all the restaurants for an afternoon or whatever, and you know to do to um, to do unconscious bias training, which you, you can't do unconscious bias training like that, can you? No, it's got to be much more fundamental and really woven into the fabric of the organisation. And of course, the role of leaders and managers is very key within that. And it's looking at also all the places where um, uh, discrimination can be uh, occurring and um, looking at all the different steps that you might need to take to make sure that not only are we rec recruiting people into organisations, a very diverse mix, but actually valuing and helping people to feel included within yeah, the organisation. Yeah. Uh, 
and so in terms of in terms of that i think that's quite critical so if take let's take unconscious bias you know a, a big area it's been um it's 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 you know it has um, various thoughts around that and it can be a bit contentious can't it we recently saw that um mps were going to go through unconscious bias training and a lot of them um I, I, you know uh, I think mainly conservative members, I suspect, from what I read in the new in the papers. Uh, this is not not a political discussion, but um, but but were were actually saying they didn't want to do it, and because they didn't think doing it like this really works. Although there may have been other reasons underlying that, and I, and I got there's a little bit of a point there actually, which is that it doesn't necessarily work just by sort of rolling out some training like that, because people don't change their behaviours just because they've been on a one hour or two hour or even a whole day session. It's much more um, much more nuanced and, and and deeper than that, isn't it? And the approach we've taken in the work I've been doing around unconscious bias is has been recognizing that as you said it has to change the way the things we do the way we go about things in an organization so it's absolutely fine and, and necessary to do some consciousness raising around what it's about maybe some of the theory taking an understanding of maybe how we can be unconsciously biased um, but then having to change the um, the behaviours and put things in place and the processes. So, for example, let's take recruitment. Um, we know the challenges around recruitment and bias. Well, if you actually change the process in which you work, maybe you're bringing some, you know, a, a more systematic approach to scoring. Um, you move towards inclusive uh, applications. Um, you have an approach that really removes and mitigates as much as possible the potential biases. You start to marry the theory and the idea and the, and the consciousness around it with some actual practices around it and and then I think you start to get make some headway um, the, just one of these as well I mean make, I make some shift yeah because I think there has been quite a lot of you know criticism in a way of um, unconscious bias um, training when it's just been left on its own um, and um, individuals have been kind of just given that and, and one of the critiques has been that it can almost be um, seen as being given permission to people to say oh well we all have unconscious biases that's it that's that's well, life that's got and and that's not no. that's actually not the message no. the message is that then you've got to take responsibility for doing something about those well it's got a term as well that's called moral licensing for people thinking <laughs> it's okay to be biased it's done sorted i'm okay um and, and, I, and I, I, I like that term actually um, I like a label, um, you know, uh, uh, and you're absolutely right. It's it's so much deeper and longer term than that. And I like to think the work I've been doing is will slowly have that impact. But actually, people with the whole of equality, diversity, inclusion, people have to see it appearing and ingrained within the organisation in everything they do. So it, you know, even with more generic pieces of consciousness raising around what EZNI means, if they don't see it happening throughout their work outside of that it, it comes to nothing doesn't it um one of the, yes, the other you know, messages the other messages become too strong um, it, yes so that it you know they get dry it gets dry it gets drowned out and um you've got to have it reinforced constantly it, it, it's true well and, and, and something else i came across and i've been doing some work around this was a was a kind of uh, approach that's 
that I've read quite a bit about, which in one way seems common sense, but also it also is is not always used, which is something called perspective taking, and it's really the understand it's the, coming from the idea of um, of taking a person ability taking a person's ability to consider a situation from a different point of view. So it's about listening and hearing people's lived experiences around diversity, around discrimination. Um, ideally, people you know perhaps, people you work with, people you're familiar with, because I think it makes it even more powerful. And that perspective taking then is a good position to move on from, for people to really kind of get it and understand uh, what maybe what they need to do and how to move that a bit further. Um, so I kind of quite like that. It is, I think it maybe is a bit common sense, but I, I'm not sure it always is always necessarily central to maybe what programs and how programs are designed. I think it's a good um, it's a good way of getting beyond um, the limitations of our own circles and networks. You know, there's I think one of the ways that um, stereotypes and discrimination gets reinforced is when we only have a narrow. Uh, our own narrow perspectives. The more that we've got uh, broader networks um, and uh, relationships with people who are different, we're more able to do that. But actually, um, in the workplace, we may need to do some, uh, I want to say, kick-starting of that. And I mm -hmm. guess that's mm -hmm. what that process of using perspective-taking and encouraging that in the workplace can help people to break out of the silos in which we often are as individuals that the the echo chambers in which we we often often work i mean i think there's also a personal responsibility i mean that was one of the things that i think was heartening um after the um the black life um, um uh, matters um uh, all the all those sort of actions were a lot for a lot of people it was it was sort of placing that individual challenge i need to broaden my perspective i need to go out and and look at who i'm listening to and make sure i've got a i've got i'm i'm hearing from a broader range of and, people and, and what responsibility would you say is for organizations to do that because we you know in the day organizations have their own mission and and, and their own core business uh, you know, I, want, I, I often wonder the extent to which an organisation, you know, should be responsible for taking that on with their with their employers, with their staff. I, I guess it's about this thing about strengthening the effectiveness of the organisation. We know that when organisations um, have more diverse groups of people um, within them and making decisions and influencing things, they are stronger organisations, more effective. Um, and the services that they offer, the products that they offer, are more likely to meet the needs of a diverse range it, of people. It's sort of a better place to work, isn't it? There is a lot of research that says a more diverse, inclusive organisation leads to leads to better results. So of course it's the, is the right thing to do, um, but actually it's a it, it's a no-brainer really because of all the benefits you're going to get around having that diversity. And we've touched on this before when we've talked about neurodiversity, haven't we? Diversity of thinking, a diversity of the community, diversity of ev you know of so many elements. It, it, it has to be a better perspective. But it's not surprising we still have challenges in this country because, you know, I was reading, um, um, well, not all of it, I have to admit, but the Parker Review from last year. Um, Sir John Parker did a review around ethnic diversity on UK boards. And, um, and unsurprisingly, 
you know, we, we, this is public information clearly, but you know, very few we know very few of uh, FTSE 350 have even at least one director uh, of someone of, of color on their boards, and 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 I guess we can take other. Uh, aspects and groupings you know um women on boards has been obviously very high in the, on the agenda um it's not surprising then in that situation that we we struggle so often to get that sort of more inclusive diverse um workforce and one that genuinely believes they're working in, in an organization that really supports diversity isn't it yeah i mean one of the things i read this year which links to this is um invisible women which is caroline criado mm. perez's book um which is all about um uses of data and um what kind of data has been used to influence decision making whether that's public policy decision making or whether it for example it's the design of products and services within um, organizations and um, she shares lots and lots of different examples of actually how um, often the data that's been used oh, has yeah. been um, uh, drawn from uh, entirely male samples mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, so things have not been designed to work um, uh, for for women. Um, uh, for example, health and safety um, equipment and personal protective gear often not designed with women's measurements um, in view, but also with people um, from different um, ethnic communities um, where we've got different average sizes mm -hmm. between people. Yes. And that can often mean that actually services don't really work or within an organisation something like um, personal protective um, equipment and gear doesn't work um, yeah, yeah, as yeah. well I so uh, yeah. I, I, I think that was a really for me it, it, it just makes me think that one of the things we need to be encouraging people to do is when we're looking at making decisions is looking at what data what information we're basing those decisions upon yeah. and actually looking to see is that information inclusive yeah. And if it isn't, we need to be broadening out that information that we're using. And then again, it also comes back to who's in the room, who's asking questions, mm -hmm. who's um, contributing to that decision making. Um, so that's back to this question about who's on the board, yes, but also completely. who's in the room within a team yeah, when we're making um, decisions. And who actually feels a it's also about inclusion. So who, who feels able to speak up, who feels... Um, as though they're going to be listened to mm. because sometimes you can be in the room but you may not feel that you're there. yeah that you've actually got a voice there yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, and and that and that i've said that festival of talk uh festival of festival of work talk from caroline was was a real eye-opener for me i mean it just shows doesn't it that that, that um inequalities and discrimination pervade society in so many ways in ways not considered um I, I, I think for me as well that kind of leads on to kind of what our roles are um be it in an organization or as individuals um and i'm something i've put as a course the work i've been doing recently has been around allyship um, and um, if anyone's listening that's not looked at um, John, Amici, John Amici's work and his his uh, his discussions on Twitter and his ideas, I'm, I'm sure people have, John Amici is well worth looking at. I, I won't go through the list, but he particularly talks about allyship and about the importance, obviously, upon every individual to be challenging 
uh, and to be approaching issues around, um, he talks particularly in the context of racism, but any level, any form of discrimination. Um, and I like the way he talks about, you know, um, don't, he, he talks about stop being surprised that things are happening. It just happens all the time for people. Don't be surprised. Don't get tired of talking about it. Um, you know, being well-meaning is not enough. And he also, um, also, he's done his little. He's, he's done a short, uh, bite-sized uh, video a while ago around um, being an anti-racist versus a non-racist, and I thought that was brilliant. Although it was done for bite-sized, I think every adult should see it. He brilliantly articulates the clear difference between going out of your way to a challenge something rather than just not being it yourself, uh, and I love that. Um, you mm. know. Um, I'm 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 conscious of time, you, but I go on. Yeah, you you've been you've been d designing some programs, and I think you've you've from that you've you've developed some uh, sort of pointers um, for thinking about um, learning and development design in this context of equality and yeah, and it's probably good a, a good thing to include on because actually we are we are LND professionals and we talk we design and we make things and create things. So let's uh, yeah, I mean uh, these aren't revolutionary, I guess, but these are sorts of conclusions I, I've come to when thinking about this and reading the various things that are out there. That you know, first of all, equality, diversity, and inclusion. Um, it, as we said, needs to sit in a context of an organisation rather than just an event or a set of events. It has to be seen and be lived. Um, that it needs to be where possible individualised. That not just sheep dipping, and that isn't always straightforward. But but the, but I think in designing programmes or designing initiatives or designing whatever, it's it's important to think about the individual within it and how they get something out of it. Um, I think it should be including uh, very much around awareness and skills to improve effectiveness. So, you know, where it's important, but you need to have the skills um, to, to challenge people to uh, to build this into your way of working. Um, and like all good learning, it needs to be spaced. Um, so programs, initiatives, experiences need to be spread across a time period because it, obviously it helps to build that into people's thinking and reflection. Um, and, and and of course... I think, yeah. just mm. coming in on that point, I think actually that can be particularly helpful because sometimes there can be a lot of emotions around yeah. this sort of topic. So actually giving people time to process and perhaps move through from all, all the different kinds of feelings that can be um, brought out by really challenging work in this area, but to be able to then move on to more action um, is important. Yeah, and, that, and that, that very much fits into that sort of cultural piece as well. How is an organisation really embedding this? What are they really doing? Um, and, the, and the last point I really, I suppose, I'd say is around, um, and this is good learning design anyway, around making something you know two-way. Um, and it goes back to the perspective taking as an example of that. Listen to people, get experience from others, uh, bring in you know, utilise experience and wealth of understanding within your organisation or indeed outside of it. Um, and I, I suppose the other thing, I suppose finally, is around senior visibility around it. This isn't just stuff that's done to people in the organisation. This is stuff that has to be seen um, to be something that's, that's pervades the whole the whole organisation. And um, as ever, if it's seen as having a serious senior buy-in by senior business leaders, of course, it's going to gain more traction, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I feel we just touched the surface here. We could talk about this for weeks on end, couldn't we? 
there are so many um, more things that we it would be good to explore and I think it is something that we should come back to in a future podcast and try not to leave it quite so long before we do our next recording. Yeah, definitely less than a year. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, It's been great. Uh, and, and until next time. Until next time.